Hey, it's Jeremy Myers, and you are listening to the Redeeming God Podcast. Sounds like the beginning of a movie, doesn't it? (laughs) Uh, In this podcast episode, we're going to discuss a current event, a question from a reader, a listener maybe, and also discuss a passage from Scripture. The current event we're going to discuss is what's going on in the stock market this week. I'm not a trader. I don't own any of these stocks. But if you've been paying attention, you've noticed there's been a lot of talk in in, uh, various online resources and social sites about GameStop and AMC and Nokia and a couple of other stocks. We're going to talk about that and what is happening and what it actually reveals to us about the system, the country we live in. Uh, And the question from a reader, we're going to tackle the difficult and Uh, touchy subject (laughs) of pornography and masturbation. And then the uh, passage we're going to discuss is the parable of the talents in Matthew 25, verses 14 to 30. And uh, that's also, I've I've chosen that because of how it relates to uh, this discussion of the stock market and what's going on. So let's uh, talk about this current event first uh, and foremost. I don't know if you've been paying attention. Maybe you're completely unaware uh, of what's happening in the stock market this week. But let me just try to summarize it for you, and uh, and then I'll, I'll briefly comment on it. So, uh, again, I'm not a trader. I don't own these stocks. I don't own stocks. Uh, I'm, I'm not, anyway, all that aside, it's just very, very interesting to me to, to watch what happened this week. So, briefly what happened is, and I'll try to explain this if you don't know anything about trading like me, um, I've done some reading and, and watching on this. Basically, what happened is there are several stocks in the stock market. GameStop, which is that uh, video store, you pr- or video game store you've probably seen in malls, which, with usually almost nobody ever in it because uh, it's a, a failing company. Uh, Nokia, which is that uh, cell phone maker, uh, uh, and then uh, AMC Theaters. You know they've been struggling this year because of COVID. So what happened is there's lots of uh, billionaire hedge fund managers this la- who have uh, put a lot of what's called a short sale um, on these sorts of stocks. And, and basically they're saying when they put a short sale out that uh, they believe that the stock of this uh, these companies are going to go down. And so they sell the stock essentially, and it's a lot more complicated than this, but they sell the stock before they buy it. So they sell it at a high price, and then they, they're they gambling, they're betting that the price of that stock is going to go down. And so at that point, when it goes down, they will buy it at a lower price, okay? So the whole concept of the stock market is buy low, sell high, uh, but various forms of trading allow you to do that in reverse. Sell first, and then when it goes down, you can buy low, okay? So um, again, it's very dangerous from what I've read and heard because... If it goes really low, then you have the opportunity to make a lot of money. But if it goes high, if you bought, say, at 10, and rather than go down, the stock goes up to 20, well, now you have to buy at $20, and you end up losing massive amounts of money. Okay? So, uh, again, it's a lot more complicated than this, and I, I apologize. I'm not a trader. If I'm using wrong terms and I explain this not quite right, you'll have to forgive me, but I just want to explain what it's what it's doing here and what it's showing the rest of the world about the stock market. So what happened is, is a lot of these billionaire hedge fund managers uh, put short sales out on several stocks. In fact, uh, with GameStop, 
I guess the short sales were upwards of 140 or 200% of the total available shares, which again, you just start to think about that. It's ridiculous. I don't even understand how that's possible, but it's what I've read and what I've seen, what I've heard. So they're selling, they're short selling uh, more stock than there actually is available of the stock. Again, I don't know. I, I don't understand how that works, but whatever. That's what I've read. And uh, these were billionaires who are doing this, and they were anticipating, even putting pressure on the stock to go lower so that they could then turn around and uh, buy it at a low price and make billions and billions of dollars. All right. So some uh, little middle, no, no name traders, you know, average Joe and Jane type people noticed that this was doing and they decided to stick it to the man in a sense. Uh, to make some money and even, um, I don't know, it's it, almost a Robin Hood type concept where they're going to take from the rich to um, help the middleman, the, the middle class people, the middle traders who don't have access to millions and billions of dollars. So millions of people on uh, various website forms and sites took a couple hundred dollars or sometimes a thousand dollars or whatever, and they bought these stocks, Nokia and GameStop and um, AMC Theaters and a couple of others that were had these heavy short sales scheduled on them. And they bought them and they are refusing to sell them. Okay, so they bought them low. And now what's happening as more and more people buy the stock, it's driving the price of the stock up rather than down because supply and demand. People buy it, it goes up. More people buy it, it goes up more. And what is now forcing to happen is the people who had all these short sales, they need to cover their short sales. It's called a short squeeze, I guess. And so uh, they start buying the stock as well so they don't lose as much money on their short sale. And of course, as they buy, they've got these millions and billions of dollars invested in these stocks. As they buy, <clears throat> that, that drives the price of the stock up even more and so now all these um, low income, or not low income, but, but uh, middle class type traders, day traders and so on, average people, they're making uh, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, in some cases, even millions and millions of dollars from what I've heard. Okay. And um, <clears throat> it uh, really angered a lot of people on Wall Street and, and hedge fund managers and business people. And so as of today, from what I've heard, this is January 28th from what I'm, when I'm recording this, uh, this morning I heard that several of the trading companies uh, bowed to the pressure from the hedge fund managers and stock market managers. So uh, people like at, at uh, TD Ameritrade and Charles Schwab and E-Trade and this trading site called Robinhood and others have uh, no longer allowing people to buy and sell the stocks of those certain companies where this is happening to them uh, because, you know, they're saying, oh, it's a stock market manipulation. So, so, and obviously lots of people are upset about this because stock market manipulation happens all the time, but it's only allowed, the rich are only allowed to do it. And Congress members are only allowed to do it. I saw just this morning, even Dianne Feinstein um, has, she failed to disclose that her husband uh, purchased 50,000 shares or something of some company that was going to benefit greatly from various things that the Congress were doing. And she failed to disclose that. And so she's facing a fine. If you and I were to do that, uh, we would go to prison. Okay. But she's in Congress. And so she gets a pass. And this is what happens in our country 
Uh, the rich and powerful are able to manipulate the stock market and do essentially what is illegal trading, and they get a slap on the wrist. Whereas the rest of us, when we try to do it, uh, we get um, first slapped down by the trading companies, and we're not allowed to make those trades anymore. By the way, the, the rich and powerful uh, hedge fund managers, they don't use those trading companies, and so they are still allowed to sell and buy that stock just like they normally would, but they're not going making their trades through TD Ameritrade or Charles Schwab or E-Trade or Robinhood or anything like that. They have their own ways of making those trades and they are still allowed to be trading on those stocks. Well, the average stock trader, uh, middle-class stock trader is not able to, okay? And <clears throat> it's, it's what they were doing by short selling the stock, 140%, 200% of a total available shares. That also is market manipulation. But again, because they're the rich and the powerful, they are allowed to. Anyway, it's a big thing, and um, it's making a lot of people upset, both the rich and powerful and the middle class, because now they are finally starting to see that, uh, as someone has uh, repeatedly said on Twitter <clears throat> in the last four years, who happens to no longer be on Twitter because Twitter removed his account, uh, the system is rigged. And it is. It's every part of this system is rigged against us, against the average person. It is rigged to help the rich and the powerful and the elite and <clears throat> those on the lower class and middle class. It's nearly impossible to get ahead. And we're seeing that right now with the stock market and what's happening here. Okay. As soon as some middle class people started to threaten billions of dollars of hedge fund managers, the, the, the hedge fund managers got the stock trading uh, companies to cease trading on those stocks. All right. So uh, it's just, I, I'm not sure where this is going to go. I'm not sure exactly how it's going to end up. <clears throat> and I'm not sure if you're one of the investors who had bought some of this stock. I, I hope you, uh, if so, that it turns out good for you. But, um, <clears throat> excuse me, losing my voice a little bit. Uh, the thing that it shows us, though, is that the system is rigged. And I, I, that's what I want you to see from this and from our election that just occurred here in the United States and elsewhere. It really is true. The system is rigged against us. The rich and the powerful, they don't care about you. They really don't, most of the time. Uh, they care about themselves. They care about their wealth. They care about, about their bank accounts and their stock portfolios. And they care about their power, their ability to get what they want, do what they want, say what they want. And despite what promises they might make to you, uh, most of the time they are lying to you, all right? And this, this sort of stock market thing, there's a one set of rules for them and a completely different set of rules for the rest of us. Uh, in, in, in many, many cases, it's do as I say, but not as I do. And I think more and more people around the country and around the world are starting to wake up to this fact. Uh, and what we're seeing happen, though, is uh, it's sort of like the movie The Bug's Life, where I think it's Bug's Life, maybe it's Ants. I can't remember. I get the two movies mixed up. But these ants rise up and overthrow the evil grasshoppers, these grasshoppers who are stealing from them. Grasshoppers are saying, we have all the power. You were stronger than you. You better do what we say. But the ants have the real power because there is power in numbers. And that's what's happening with the stock market. And I think more and more people are starting to see this and are willing and able and ready to rise up against this abuse of power. And I'm not calling for violence. When I say rise up, I don't mean with violence, but using our collective voices and our actions and our behaviors and even our buying power 
to make our voices heard and to let these uh, rich and powerful elites and those uh, the, the companies uh, who are abusing their power and their money to let them know uh, that uh, this will not stand. We will not allow this sort of thing to happen. Uh, we'll see where this goes. It's going to be an interesting time <clears throat> uh, based on what we're seeing in the stock market and with the elections and uh, silencing free speech left and right by Twitter and Facebook and Google and some of these other companies. So um, it's we're, we're entering into a time, I'm, I'm certain of it, of cultural and social revolution. So we'll see where this happens. And this uh, stock market event this week is proving that uh, that is happening even, even more. All right, so uh, just be careful. And, and by the way, I find it very, very interesting. <clears throat> the rich and the powerful and the elite who've all said, oh, we need to raise taxes on the rich so that we can give more money to the poor. <laughs> well, when the middle class and lower class decide to use some of their money to actually get more money from themselves, from the rich, the billionaires, the hedge fund managers, right? What do those rich and powerful politicians and elite and, and government entities do? They stop us. They shut down our ability to actually do it. They don't actually want to take money from the rich and the powerful and the elite. They don't want to tax them and give it more to you. They don't. Despite what they're saying, that is not their goal. They actually want to give more power to themselves and their buddies and their friends in, in Wall Street and the banks and uh, make you subservient to them. So anytime a politician comes out and says, oh, we're going to tax the rich and give it to the middle class, be very, very suspect because that is not what they are going to do. That is not what they're planning to do. In fact, I even saw this week, Joe Biden ran on uh, not taxing anyone over $400,000 or whatever, uh, but now they are planning on taxing, raising taxes on the middle class and even the lower class as well. Complete lie uh, on, on what they campaigned on. Anyway, enough of that. So let's move on to a question from a reader. You've got some mail. All right, so the question from the reader this week is a bit of a tricky, touchy subject. Here is the question. It was sent in anonymously. I've been having problems and struggling with pornography for years, even into my marriage. I would fall into that sin for very short periods of time, stop, repent, and in most cases, dispose of the laptop. Then, somewhere down the road, I would fall again, stop, repent, and get rid of the laptop or phone. The cycle would repeat over and over again for years. Just recently, I prayed to God to forgive me and forsake for t uh, pornography forever. I do not own a laptop anymore. My phone I use has blockers on it, so I can't watch pornography. This is how I'm able to send you this message. Because of my sin over the years, I thought I was never saved. I made a new profession of faith to God and accepted Jesus into my life as Lord and Savior. The problem I have now is I'm confused with where I stand with God. Will he forgive me for my past sins? Was I saved 20 years ago? Uh, or just backslide, or was I lost? Am I saved now, or am I still lost? I'm really confused and worried about my salvation. Can you help me with my situation I'm suffering for? Thank you so much for reading my story, and God bless you. One more thing, I asked my wife to forgive me, and she did. Okay, so uh, m again, multiple things going on in this question, and really it's very difficult for me to answer it in this sort of format, aside from the topic itself. But 
Uh, ideally, it would be best to sit down with this man and have a one-on-one conversation with him over a cup of coffee and sort of talk through some of these things. But I'm going to try to do my best in this podcast episode anyway. So let me address really his first question about whether or not he's saved, whether or not he's forgiven. The answer to that is absolutely, without a doubt, yes. You have eternal life if you've believed in Jesus for it. Period. End of story. That's it. Jesus promises to give eternal life to anyone and everyone who believes in him for it. There's no ifs, ands, or buts. There's no fine print. That's it. So uh, if you uh, have committed, if you've been addicted to pornography and masturbation in the past, or even presently, or even are going to fall into it in the future, which is likely, Jesus promises, if you believe in me, you have everlasting life. John 3.16, John 5.24, John 6.47, so on. All right, so that means that no matter what sin you committed, have committed, are committing, will commit, you have eternal life in Jesus. You are forgiven, you are loved, you are accepted. That is my answer to every time, every time I get a question about, but I committed this sin, but I said that, blasphemy the Holy Spirit, okay, uh, whatever it is, anger, greed, okay, it doesn't matter what the sin is. Sin does not keep you from the love and grace and mercy and forgiveness of God. It does not. So that's my first answer. Yes, uh, you have eternal life if you have believed in Jesus for it, okay? Now, let's talk about this uh, more sort of the base foundational question here about pornography and masturbation. Pornography and masturbation are are both, of course, based on lust, and lust, of course, is sinful. And Jesus talked about that. You know, if anyone looks at a woman lustfully, he's committed adultery within his heart. So it's better to, you know, pluck out your eye sort of a thing. Okay, and I think that's uh, what this man has done by disposing of the laptop and putting blockers on his phone. Those are good steps to take. Uh, that's, in a sense, the essence of plucking out your eye. You're finding what has led you to commit this sin, and you're taking steps to make it impossible. I have written about this before and talked about this before a lot more uh, in other places on my podcast and on my website, and I'll include some links in the notes for this podcast if you want to read about them. Um, C.S. Lewis wrote a lot about pornography and masturbation, and believe it or not, he struggled with it, and so he wrote about it. C.S. Lewis is my favorite Christian author, so I'm always interested to know what he writes about these sorts of topics. And other people had asked him about it, so he wrote about it. And I'll include some links. I'll include a link in where I include his notes on masturbation, his ideas, his thoughts on masturbation, and how he has dealt with it. Uh, that's uh, there on the notes for this, this episode as well. And also where I have answered and addressed this question in previous years elsewhere on my, on my website. Um, Okay, so there's a link for that as well. Bottom line is this, if you're dealing with pornography and masturbation, it leads to a lot of shame and guilt, and psychologically, shame and guilt lead us into more sin. It's just a a fact. So um, I would encourage you, when you're dealing with pornography and masturbation, don't try to fight the pornography and masturbation itself. Instead, what, what you need to do is fight the shame and guilt. And the way you do that is by remembering, focusing on the love and grace of God for you. Okay, so when you fall, when you get knocked down to the mat by lust, and you're down there wallowing in the filth, you need to realize that God is not turning his face away from you in shame. He's not upset with you. He's not disgusted by you. 
Okay, he's not saying, ew, what are you doing? That is so gross. No, uh, God is not as upset by it as you and I might be. Uh, instead, well, he's shaking his head. He's basically saying, are you serious? You're following, you know, with a smile on his face, I suppose. You're falling for that again? Haven't we had this conversation before? Okay, he's not angry. He's not sternly scowling at you. Okay, he, he loves you. He sees the weaknesses of our flesh. He wants us to break free from it. Uh, but he extends his love and his grace and his forgiveness and especially his understanding to us. He's the one who made us men this way to have these desires. And these desires are good and healthy. They should not be rooted out of our life. Uh, instead, they should be redirected in a proper and healthy direction. Okay, so that's what God wants. And guilt and shame is not going to help redirect our, our feelings and our desires in a, in a healthy way, in a healthy direction. But his love and grace will. And so when you are knocked down to the mat, you need to recognize God is saying, I still love you. I still forgive you. Now stand up and walk with me and let's talk about it. Let's see what happened. How did you end up here? Let's have a conversation about it. Shame and guilt cause us to run from God, hide from God, just like Adam and Eve tried to hide from God in the Garden of Eden. But when, but God, that's not what God wants. He does not want us to hide from him. He wants us to admit it, to confess, to say, yeah, God, I messed up again. I know you saw that. Uh, so let's talk about it. And you need to discover what sorts of things in your life led you to that area. Uh, C.S. Lewis talks about in, in his notes on this, that it um, is when he's having a rough time in life or when he is low on sleep, those sorts of things. So he focused, focused on getting uh, plenty of sleep and other things, okay? So uh, again, th those are the sorts of conversations you can have with God, and you need to get rid of your guilt and shame in order to be able to face God, walk with God, and have this conversation with him about what led to the sin. You're only going to be able to do that if you recognize that God is not upset with you. He's not disgusted by you. He loves you. He forgives you. He extends grace to you, and he wants to pick you up off the mat, hug you, and uh, go out for a cup of coffee with you to have a conversation about this. That is the way to obtain victory over this sin in your life, is invite God into it and have conversations with him about it. Okay? So that is a sort of a quick, brief attempt at addressing this sort of question. With that in mind, let's move on to discussion of a biblical passage. We're talking about the parable of the talents in Matthew 25, 14 to 30, for sort of the main segment of this podcast episode today. And the reason I chose this is twofold. One, uh, because of what's going on in the stock market this week that we have already talked about with GameStop and AMC and Nokia and a couple of others, uh, because uh, lots of people uh, point to the parable of the talents or the parable of the minas, the parable of the talents is in Matthew 25, verses 14 to 30. And the parable of the minas is in Luke 19. I think it's like uh, 11 to 27. And lots of people see that uh, stock trading and stock market trading uh, has this parallel of this master who gives his servants some money and tells them to go, uh, you know, do something with it. And uh, some 100% uh, profit, some you know, less profit. One person, um, the last servant, uh, makes no profit because he buries it in the ground and he is rebuked for it. So a lot of people see investment, stock market investment, real estate investment, uh, something like that, 
as uh, one way to apply this principle to our lives today and be good stewards of what God has given to us. Now, the second reason, so that's one reason I'm talking about this parable. The second reason is because uh, here in the United States, in fact, even over in Europe and other places, in Canada, uh, in Australia, I, I see lots of politicians moving towards what we would, what they, what they call democratic socialism. And we have many prominent politicians here in the United States who are advocates of democratic socialism and think that it would be good for our country, for the United States, to move into that direction. Uh, I myself am completely opposed to that, but much to my shock, uh, I have recently seen in, in recent months, and even some in recent years, some Christians and some theologians and pastors and Bible teachers who have claimed that Jesus was a socialist. And so they are agreeing with these politicians who are calling for democratic socialism, and they say, this is the way of Jesus. Uh, these politicians want to take care of the poor and the needy in our communities. It's what they claim, that's what they run on, and we're going to do that by taxing the rich. Uh, and, and Jesus is full on board with that. That's what Jesus wants. This is the way of Jesus. I do, uh, I do not disagree that Jesus wants to take care of the poor and the needy and the orphan and the widow in our midst. Of course, this is biblical principles. Uh, I, I, socialism is not the way to do it, though. I don't care what brand of socialism you're talking about. Even democratic socialism will not follow, carry out the ways of Jesus, the values of Jesus, the goals of Jesus for this world. It will not, cannot. And that's those who claim Jesus was a socialist uh, don't know the first thing about socialism or Jesus. Okay, and so um, I'm going to do some more teaching and writing on that in the future, especially because I believe it is going to be a major issue here over the next weeks and months and years here in the United States. And I know many of you, some of you are already facing it in the countries that you live. In fact, some of you have written to me uh, in, in recent days and weeks about your experience of socialism in your country and how you hope it does not happen here in the United States. Uh, so all of that, uh, I'm, I'm going to do more. In fact, I have 22 pages of typewritten notes already on this topic. And so I, it will never become a book. I have no interest ever in writing a book on the topic. Uh, but I might t teach and write a little bit about it on my website and here in the podcast. So we'll see as we go along. Now, as I've been doing some reading on this, I have... Uh, by the way, Jesus was not a capitalist either. Don't Don't think I'm saying... Since Jesus was not a socialist, therefore Jesus was a capitalist. That's ridiculous. Jesus was not a capitalist. Okay? A capitalistic society is not close to Jesus either. So um, you know, we can talk about the pros and cons of capitalism versus the pros and cons of socialism. We can certainly do that. And certainly I'm all in favor of bringing Jesus into it. I do not think it's possible or even wise to untangle Jesus from our political conversations. That's, that's dumb. Okay, uh, the, the, the teachings and ways of Jesus uh, affect all areas of life, even our politics. And so we must include conversations about Jesus in our conversations about politics. To do otherwise is just foolishness. So Jesus was not a socialist, but he's also not a capitalist. And the reason I'm bringing that up is because in my reading and research on socialism, I have found many people, many Christians and pastors who say Jesus was a capitalist and look at the parable of talents as proof. 
Parable of Talents is probably one of the main texts that some Christians and pastors and theologians use to defend the idea of capitalism. See, capitalism is taught in the Bible. Jesus praises this man, this master, who gives money to his servants, and the servants go out, and some invest it, and some uh, one person doesn't, and the one who invests it wisely and gets a hundredfold return on it. He is praised most by the master. This is Capitalism 101, supply and demand. Take what you're given and invest it and get a great profit from it. Jesus praises that. Therefore, Jesus was a capitalist and so on, okay? Uh, (laughs) I am just as opposed to this as I am of the idea that Jesus was a socialist. And that is a horrible way to read the parable of the talents. It is incorrect. It is taking our greedy, materialistic, capitalistic society that we have here in the United States and applying it wrongfully to a biblical text. So we're going to talk about, briefly, about what the parable of the talents is actually teaching and how to properly read it. Now, I have written about this before on my website, and I have links for those in the notes for this podcast episode if you want to go read those. Um, But I've recently also recorded a lesson on judgment for my Gospel Dictionary online course, and so what I'm going to say here in this podcast episode comes is sort of a summary of what I taught in that lesson on judgment. That lesson is available already in the course, and so if you're part of my discipleship group, you can go take that lesson right now on judgment. Just uh, sign up for—if you're a part of the discipleship group, just sign up for free for the Gospel Dictionary online course, and then go down, find the lesson on judgment, and uh, take it. Okay, so that's, that's where this teaching comes from. So, the parable of the talents in Matthew 25, verses 14 to 30. You know this parable, I'm sure. It's a parable about this. I've already briefly summarized it. The man has three servants. Over in the parable of the minas, there's ten. But uh, it's a very similar concept and idea and teaching in both. And basically, it's about these faithful and unfaithful servants and how the master gives money to, to all the servants to see what they will do with it. The master goes on a journey. When he comes back, he calls them uh, before him to have them give an account of what they did with his money. And in the parable of the talents, the first and second servant, they turned their talents into even more, and so were rewarded as a result. The third, though, the third servant, he buried his talent because he was afraid of losing it. And uh, so he, when the master returns, he just gives the the one talent back and says, I buried it just to keep it safe. And so here it is. And as a result, he is punished. He is thrown out. Uh, where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth, and his one talent is taken from him and given to the one who had ten. Okay, so the way this parable then is often taught is God gives you and I resources in life, whether it's money or spiritual gifts or family or houses or jobs, and we are supposed to be responsible with that and turn it into more uh, in some way, shape, or form, so that when Jesus returns, he will reward us. If you do not do that, then you will be punished, maybe even sent to hell, cast out where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth, okay? I talk about that in the Gospel Dictionary online course as well. This is not a reference to hell. Weeping and gnashing of teeth has nothing whatsoever to do with going to hell, okay? So, that's sort of a summary of how this parable is often taught and understood. And guess what? It is the exact opposite of what Jesus meant uh, and how his initial hearers in first century Mediterranean society there in Israel and in Rome would have understood him. 
Okay. We live in, and here's why. Let me explain this real briefly. I wrote my master's thesis on this very topic. We live in a materialistic, uh, greedy society. Okay. Culture. It's, it's, it's driven by money and the accumulation of money. Uh, and uh, that's how our society functions. It's not always been the case throughout the world. In fact, even today, that's not how many societies and cultures function. There is another way that uh, societies and cultures can function, and that's called honor and shame. So rather than accumulation of money, some cultures, some societies throughout time, and even today, uh, prefer to have honor. Money is not as important as honor in, in these cultures. In fact, how you use your money determines whether you can receive or lose honor. And their great goal in an honor-shame culture is not the accumulation of money, but the accumulation of honor. You want to avoid shame and gain more honor for yourself, for your family, and for the people group that you are part of. So in an honor-shame culture, money's not an end in itself, like it is in a materialistic culture. In an honor-shame culture, money is a means to gain more honor. Money and wealth is a tool to gain more honor. And if you use your money unwisely, then you lose honor. If uh, you waste your money, then you gain shame, which is what you want to avoid. So in an honor-shame culture, it is possible to be insanely rich, but to have no honor and therefore be despised and rejected by society. Just think of Zacchaeus in uh, Luke chapter 19. There's a perfect example In our society and culture, Zacchaeus would be praised and welcomed, and everybody would love him and want to be like Zacchaeus. But that is not the case in the culture of Jesus and the apostles. Zacchaeus was despised and rejected, even though he had great wealth. Uh, He had no honor, so therefore he, he was rejected. Okay? Now, here's something else, and we'll talk about how that applies to the parable of talents in just a minute. But there's something else you need to think about or recognize about an honor-shame culture. In an honor-shame culture, they believed that wealth and possessions were in limited supply. They had what was called a zero-sum economy. Okay? Uh, Here in a a materialistic uh, society, capitalistic society, we do not have a zero-sum economy. We do not think that money is in limited, and possessions and wealth is in limited supply. We think there's plenty to go around, and uh, we all need to get as big a slice of the pie as possible. All right, but that is not the case in a zero-sum economy, in a limited supply economy. They believed there was only so much wealth and only so much possessions, and uh, it should be equally distributed among all. That's the way God originally intended, especially when he handed out the land, to the Israelite society very on, early on when they entered into Canaan, and it needed to be maintained that way. And what this meant, though, in a zero-sum economy is that if one person gained more for themselves, that meant someone else lost. Okay, If, I, if everybody has 5% and now I get 10%, that means somebody out there either lost everything, now they have zero, Or maybe there's 5% or 5 people who now only have 4% because their 1% came over to me. All right. And so in an honor-shame culture, that was considered dishonorable. That was shameful activity. You were, in essence, stealing from somebody else. That's how it was viewed. If you gain more for yourself, you only obtained that by stealing from somebody else. That's how it worked in an honor-shame culture. 
Now, there were richer people, people with more land and money and power in an honor-shame culture. So how did they deal with this? And maybe it's just because, you know, for various reasons, well, they would often develop a a patron-client relationship. So they would take people who had less and they would give money to them. They would... um, support them. They would uh, build hospitals or or art, places of art and culture, uh, build aqueducts to help them, all sorts of things. So uh, in a society, uh, honor-shame culture, those who did have more, they would try to gain honor for themselves by spending lavishly in ways to help those who had less. They don't really just go around handing out money to people. They would spend it on, on public works to, to or, or even... Uh, people who would write literature and books and and poets and artists and things like that to help society and culture at large. And that way, they are using their money to benefit society and culture and therefore gain honor for themselves through the spending of their money. See how that works? Okay, so uh, again, um, back to Zacchaeus. It's very interesting, by the way, the parable of the minas in Luke chapter 19, is immediately preceded by the account of Zacchaeus. So Luke chapter 19, verses 1 through 10, is about Zacchaeus. And then Luke chapter 19, verses 11 through 27, is the parable of the Minas. Is that important? Of course it is. Jesus is taking a real-life example of Zacchaeus, who had great wealth but no honor, and showing through the parable of the Minas how... um, how that works in this world, okay? Now, Zacchaeus had not engaged in any criminal behavior, but he had became, become in, in, extremely rich, and so he was rejected by his fellow countrymen as a result, okay? Now, that would be the exact opposite in today's society and culture, okay? So taking all that together from the honor-shame society, honor-shame culture, and applying it to the parable of the talents and the parable of the mind is we get a completely different picture that emerges from this. What we get from this is actually the first servants who took the money from their master and multiplied it, in an honor-shame culture, they are not the ones who are praised and accepted and welcomed. They are actually the ones in an honor-shame culture who are despised and rejected because they behaved shamefully. It's the last servant, the one who took it and did not gain anything on it, especially not by putting it in the bank, Uh, where it would gain interest, because that was considered usury, which is condemned by the Bible. Uh, It's that last servant who who behaved honorably. He started off with one talent and ends up with one talent. He did not lose any, but he also did not gain any, which would have been considered stealing from somebody else. Okay, so uh, that is how these parables would have been understood. Now, people say, yeah, but in the parable, they were praised. The master, who we all think represents Jesus, praises them and encourages them and says, well done, good and faithful servant, right? You were faithful with a little. So here, have a lot more. Okay. (laughs) Guess what? The master in these parables does not represent Jesus. In fact, these parables also do not reflect how things work in the kingdom of God, in in Jesus' way of doing things. They are actually the exact opposite. Now, I know if you go and look at Matthew chapter 25, verse 14, say in the NIV translation, or most translations, you're going to see there, the kingdom of heaven is like, or the kingdom of God is like, okay? (laughs) Um, But those words should be in italics, 
which means they were not originally in the Greek. They were not originally spoken by Jesus. They were added after the fact by some translator. So they are not there. And so even though the words kingdom of heaven is there in Matthew 25, 14, or in English translations, it is not in the Greek. It was not spoken by Jesus. In fact, when you study these chapters of Matthew 24 and 25, uh, you see that Jesus is describing life in the kingdom of heaven, but he is comparing and contrasting it with life in the kingdoms of this world. All right, And the, this parable, this, this central parable, the parable of the talents, is describing not life in the kingdom of heaven, but is instead describing what life is like in the kingdoms of this world, especially for people who choose to live by the ways of the kingdom of heaven. And it's that last servant, the third servant in the parable of the talents, who represents a disciple of Jesus. And if they choose to live according to the ways of Jesus and not steal from their brethren, not steal from their countrymen, uh, choose to live honorably and righteously without greed, then they will not be welcomed by the rich and greedy people of this world, the masters who only want to steal for themselves and gain more money and wealth and power for themselves. Sure, their behavior is dishonorable, but some people, like Zacchaeus initially, just don't care because they want the money. They're going to lie and steal and cheat as much as they can so that they can gain more riches and power and wealth for themselves. And it should not be this way for us who are followers of Jesus. But Jesus is warning us, beware, if you live according to my ways, which he describes in the parables before and after this, the parable of the ten virgins and the parable of the sheep and the goats, uh, you will not be welcomed, you will not be praised, you will not be invited to the parties. You'll be sent into the darkness outside the parties. You will um, maybe even sometimes regret your decisions because you are poor and don't have the wealth and, and money that you otherwise could have if you had played according to the worldly rules. Okay, so this middle parable, the parable of the talents, is, is not to show us what the kingdom of heaven is like. It's to show us what the kingdoms of this world is like and how it will treat us if we live according to the ways and values and goals of Jesus, represented there by that third servant. Okay? So Jesus is not the master in the parable of the talents, parable of the minas, and um, Jesus, uh, and the third servant is the one that we are supposed to emulate and follow because he is the one who's living according to the ways of Jesus. By the way, if, just take, for example, the alternate view, Okay, let's say that Jesus is the master in the parable of the talents. And you're saying, Jeremy, that's a lot of bunk. That's not true. The traditional way in our materialistic society is reading this is correct. The one who has uh, the, the first and second servants, they take their talents and they multiply. It, and that's what God wants. That's the way how to follow the ways of Jesus. Look, if that's true, then over in Luke chapter 19, Jesus would have praised Zacchaeus, right? Zacchaeus, good job using your position to get more money and value and power for yourself. Now, I want you to take that money, Zacchaeus, and give it to me so that we can build a nice church and, and, and support more discipleship training schools around the world and, uh, uh, and, and keep making lots of money for the kingdom of God, Zacchaeus. Good job, good for you. But that's not what Jesus did. He said, take the money you've earned and give it back uh, up to four times as much from those you stole it from, which, of course, would have bankrupted Zacchaeus. He's done as a tax collector after this. He would lose his job, lose his wealth, lose all of his possessions. Um, 
trying to make right what he has done wrong against others. That's what Jesus tells them to do. So he's not, Zacchaeus is not praised. Um, and therefore that shows us that the master in the parable of the talents and the parable of the minas also is not Jesus, because that master praises those who multiply their, their money. Uh, but Jesus does not praise Zacchaeus. This, is a, this parable is set in contrast to what, how we as Christians are supposed to behave in this world and how this world wants us to behave. Okay? So just a, a sort of a brief summary of how to understand this parable. When we live according to the ways of Jesus and the ways of the kingdoms of this, uh, the kingdom of heaven, we will not be accepted, we will not be welcomed, we will not be praised by the greedy, materialistic society that we live in, um, who wants money and power or even honor for themselves and how they go about getting it. Kingdom of this world is the exact opposite values as the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. Uh, and so um, we must make a, choose, a choice how we will live. Are we going to follow the ways of the kingdoms of this world or are we going to follow the ways of the kingdom of heaven? Are we going to follow a chase after greed and power and money or are we going to chase after righteousness and, and, and freedom and liberty and love and grace and mercy and self-sacrifice, kindness, the fruit of the Spirit, essentially. Uh, those are the choices that we are faced, and that is what Jesus is teaching in this parable of the talents in, in Matthew chapter 25 and the parable of the minas over in Luke chapter 19. Okay, so I have written a lot more again, a lot more about this uh, in various places on my website and uh, in my online courses. But I uh, just wanted to uh, point this out to you right now. Don't use these parables as a way to justify gaining more wealth and riches for yourself. I'm not saying gaining wealth and riches is bad. It's not. Um, it's not sinful. The love of money is, you need to be careful about gaining wealth and riches. And especially, you need to figure out what Jesus wants you to do with the wealth and riches that you have. Um. And, and, but that's, again, another topic, and I'm getting into this whole concept of socialism versus Jesus as well. So we'll save that for another topic, another time, and another podcast episode. Thank you so much for listening to this one. Hope this brief description of Matthew chapter 25 makes you think about the peril of the talents, how to live your life, what's going on in the world right now, and how best to follow Jesus into this world. So join us next week. I'm not sure yet what passage or topic or event we'll be talking about next week. Uh, but whatever it is, hopefully it will make you think. Okay, talk to you later.